Thanks for tuning in again to the Veterinary Kaleidoscope podcast. My name is Kate Toyer. I'm a veterinarian, a clinical veterinarian on the south coast of New South Wales on Wild Land in your nation. And I am a trans woman. And I'm Cam Raw. I am a Palawa vet researcher and teacher at the vet school. And I'm on Bunurong land. Thanks, Cam. This episode, we have... Andrew Thompson, who's joining us. And I'm going to hand it over to you now, Andrew, to actually introduce yourself there. Um, I'm Andrew Thompson. I use he, him pronouns. I'm a veterinary nurse, a veterinary nurse educator, uh, and a counsellor as well. Thanks, Andrew. Now, this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about diversity in the veterinary profession from the perspective of veterinary nursing. As Andrew just mentioned, where he came from. Before we start, though, we do we have some news, listeners. We actually have some sponsors, some supporters for the Veterinary Podcast now. So we'd like to give a shout out to Green Cross Vets and also Covitris. Otherwise, uh, people would would have known them as ProVet, but now Covitris, uh, who uh, kindly now support the uh, Veterinary Kaleidoscope Podcast, and it means that we can actually uh, pay our bills and actually uh, for our host. Um, it doesn't actually come out, have to come out of our pockets um, and, uh, and do all those sorts of lovely things. So uh, thank you very much to those two organisations. So let's jump right into it. We'll get straight to the, let's get straight to the nut of the question, Andrew, because we asked you on to the, the veterinary kaleidoscope to talk to us a little bit about uh, the veterinary nurse, because we've talked to we've talked to a number of vets now, about half a dozen vets, and sort of uh, how they've seen diversity in the veterinary profession from a veterinary perspective. But one thing we haven't really reflected on is the diversity from a veterinary nurse and and veterinary practice managers, vet techs, all, all that sort of all those other people, wonderful people, who quite frankly make the veterinary practice actually run somehow vaguely efficiently in the face of uh, certainly my efforts to um, try and make it stop. I think um uh, so how do you see diversity and how have you seen diversity change in the veterinary nursing world okay so i've been around for almost 20 years so i've seen a lot of changes in the veterinary nursing field um you know as well as the veterinary field overall i guess one example that we spoke about the other day when we were prepping for this was back when i started nursing in the early noughties i would go to conferences and i would be the only male um which i found interesting in a which i i knew it was a female dominated industry but i was not prepared quite so much for that so the positive of that is that now when i go to conferences almost 20 years later i'm not the only male person there which is nice there are about five maybe ten of us but you know that's you know little wins little wins so that's one fairly obvious change i've seen is, is that the males are more represented which is fantastic because why not, essentially? I think I don't have another explanation other than why not. I think we make great, great business as, as, as a male person. Absolutely. Hmm. Completely. We've, I've certainly noticed that as well. I think sort of you do see more male vet nurses um, in, the, in the profession now. Um, and thankfully, sort of some of those 
horrendous stereotypes around sort of veterinary nursing have sort of uh, disappeared. Um, uh, and um, yeah, and diversity. Well, diversity in the in the veterinary nurse uniform. I, I I graduated at a time where oh my goodness, they still there were still veterinary practices. I kid you not, who like had their vet nurses in these horrendous tunic dress things that honestly like. Mm. I wouldn't wear them. Like seriously, that was just that was horrible. It did worry me when I saw clinics who had nurses dressed in those tunics. I'm like, but what am I going to wear when I get a job <laughs> in, a, in a veterinary clinic? And it did take me some time to get my foot in the door. And I do feel that perhaps being a male might have been a barrier for that. I can't say for sure, um, but my experience made me feel like perhaps because I was male, maybe people didn't want me as a veterinary nurse, which was really difficult at the time. Um, but I stuck to it, and and here I am. So. Um, but yeah, the uniforms. Oh my goodness, they were they were frightening. But thankfully, they're not like that anymore in any practices I've seen. I do see a lot of practices now in my current role. Yeah, yeah, no, they're definitely quite different. Have you, have you seen the um, the recent? Uh, there's a bit of postings going around about Virgin has just Virgin Atlantic, the airline, has just changed their uniform policy. Have you seen those? Can the um, uh, the new yes. ones? I think the with Michelle yeah. Visage and and stuff, which is um, uh, which is really, it's an interesting move, I think. Uh, mm. um, you know, and, and I think, how do you, Andrew, like that 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 uh, that presentation, that sort of, uh, and what's what are the other what are the other presentation things that you've noticed change over time? Because uh, I think sort of there have been some that have really sort of changed over time that I've noticed. Certainly, things like hair color, uh, tattoos are probably the other mm. one. You've hit the nail on the head there, Kate. Absolutely. So now that I visit practices as part of my educator role, I, I see a lot of veterinary nurses and I see more visible tattoos, more visible piercings, um, wild hair colours. I probably shouldn't say wild because they're not wild. They're just different. Um, but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, for the listeners, uh, my hair is bright red right now. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but, yeah, I think uh, there's no kind of stereotypical um, expectation for what a veterinary nurse should look like because I, they look like however the heck they want to look like is how I look at it now. So people are expressing themselves how they see fit. And that's more, I won't say completely acceptable because there are still practices that probably don't um, like that. But the, they're the majority, people who express themselves the way they, they see fit and, and they're in more and more vet clinics around the country, which is, I really like that. As someone who you know, I have tattoos, I have piercings, um, and I like to express myself that way. So it's really nice to see that in clinic and, you know, people not be held back from career progression for having those things and, and just having it all out there for people to see. Obviously, they're respectful and they're, you know, safe in a setting and a surgical setting and those sorts of things because that's important in what we do, but they're there and can see them and it's really nice to see. Have you seen that at the uni, Cam, like sort of with students and stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, it's one of the things with, you know, being surrounded by the younger generation. And I think in general, the student population certainly is a little bit older than when I went through as a, a bachelor student now that it's a postgraduate degree. But I think everybody's very comfortable with expressing themselves, whether it be hair color, piercings, tattoos. Um, and I think that that's been a Probably a bit of a push in terms of as they graduate and move into the industry, it is, you know, it's a it's a rising tide that whether there are some stick in the mud 
people who really are against that. I think they are perhaps realizing that it's it's changed and that they are the ones who are having to change with it rather than pushing this artificial sort of quote unquote professional appearance standards that have been expected in the past. Yeah, that real that definite uh, definite concept of what is professional. Um, mm. And, and uh, I just just recently actually did a, a little video post on LinkedIn and sort of was along those sorts of lines, like what's what's professional? Like is is glasses, does that make you professional? Does like a stethoscope around your neck make you professional? I mean, like it's none of it really, like hair colour doesn't make you professional or not. Mm. Um, so did you, did you get a, um, when you were coming into veterinary nursing, Andrew, did you get any pushback from clients like sort of uh, feeling that you know I guess the the one I'm thinking of is the client who goes oh you know the dog doesn't like men that sort of type of thing like it's the classic isn't it like it's that sort breaks of, uh, my gears you know, but, oh, no, it's, it's, it's pretty wild isn't it but um but did you get that like and and how did you how did you actually if you did get that, how did you deal with it? Like, what did you sort of, and uh, what did you say to the client? I guess the one that comes to mind for me is not so much that the dog doesn't like males. Um, I would get a lot, you know, are you training to be a vet? Because, and that would make me feel like a male nurse is not okay. I need to be working towards being a vet. Um, and that was really confronting to start with. And I was like, well, I, I don't know how to respond to that, but it happened a lot. Um, and I guess I got to the point where I think I was comfortable to say to people, no. I don't want to be a vet. I'm a veterinary nurse. I'm quite proud of what I do as a veterinary nurse. I do things very different to what the vets do. And this is this is my career. This is what I want to be doing. And I'm going to rise through the ranks of the veterinary nursing profession without having to jump ship to be a veterinarian because I, I didn't feel like that was you know where I wanted to go. And I didn't feel like that was necessary for me. But that was the stereotype that I felt that you know males were the vets and the females were the nurses. Um, we did have female vets as well. But um, in the practice I started with, it was more male vets than um, female vets and the nurses were all female. And then there was me in the middle, which was, you know, it worked out quite well eventually, but there were clients that didn't quite understand. You talked you talked there a bit, little bit about career progression. And I, and I think that's a, an interesting thing to touch on because I do feel like one of the challenges that traditional veterinary practices do have is that where do they move their veterinary nurses and how do they get them to progress in their careers, their veterinary nurse careers? Uh, because as you mentioned, like the traditional or the sort of the established viewpoint is that, oh, you know, you sort of uh, from veterinary nurse, you sort of, you you want to be a vet, so to speak. And that, and that was like, a and there's plenty of vet nurses and that's fine, like sort of mm. to go from veterinary nursing mm. into, into uh, veterinary training and a veterinary profession. Um, but I think it's interesting to talk about where you see the veterinary, like a veterinary nursing career going and, and how you see a veterinary nursing career. Mm. I guess it's different for everybody, but um, the, the opportunities I've seen come up over the past 20 years are, you know, moving from, you know, training nurse to qualified nurse to head nurse to senior nurse, practice manager. Some people do like to, you know, move towards as well. Um, I tried that for a while. That wasn't for me. Um, I was more clinical at the time and I, I realised that 
by you know trying to be a practice manager. And I guess there's there's different specialties as well. So I also, I also worked in emergency for a time, which was that was where my nursing skills really came to the forefront because I was using them constantly, and that was really challenging and really exciting. Working night shifts wasn't for me long term, so it was a, a three ish year career for me. But I learned so much doing that. So. We had, you know, surgical nurses, we had clinical nurses, we had hospital nurses, triage nurses, we had all different sorts of nurses within that that facility. And then, you know, now as a, a veterinary nurse educator, I've kind of moved that way as well. So, you know, if I wasn't a veterinary nurse, I wouldn't be doing what I do now. And it has also opened up doors for me in, in the mental health space as well for the veterinary industry. So um, the opportunities are endless um, and I wouldn't want to be pigeonholed into being, you know, a, a qualified nurse working in a, in a general practice doing the cleaning and the reception um, and, you know, all of those things because there's so much more out there if that's what you want to do. You know, if you want to be a great clinical nurse at tops, it's fantastic. I, I really love that people do that. But, yeah, there's, there's just options. I think it's my, my main emphasis is you have as many options as you, you know, can imagine basically as a veterinary nurse these days, which is fantastic. I'd like to park the mental health thing there for a minute. Mm. I'll come back to that. Uh, but I do want to just throw that to Cam there a little bit actually as well because I, I think that certainly when I went through vet school, there was a concept that your veterinary career was this linear progression of sort of graduate, train, sort of uh, get better, do, do a residency, become a specialist, like and just, you know, pick your field or whatever. But how do you sort of see that, Cam, as someone who's like you've done some clinical work and you're now sort of back more doing some academic bit of teaching work and perhaps not sort of not necessarily chasing down that specialist path? Um, uh, and, yeah, I'd love to hear what your, your thoughts are on that. Yeah, well, I guess I, I realise now that entering into the vet profession at the very start of, of vet school, I had no idea what the vet profession was at all. My idea of what a vet did was a very limited experience. Taking my own pets to the vet, my uncle had a a clinic nearby and so got exposed a little bit working as a kennel hand there. But I suppose I entered vet school thinking, you know, mostly around smallies and that that's what I would do. And then the other side of vet school, I came out as a cattle vet. So things changed quite a lot there. And now I'm back working mostly with with dogs and with vet students. So certainly not the linear career progression that I thought, but the diversity of opportunities that presented themselves has just been a really exciting thing to to experience, I think, and is probably one of the most important things that I often find myself discussing with students who probably come into the the degree having similar thoughts to what I did a lot of the time, but they soon learn just through their own experiences what they can do. Definitely. Yeah, I think sort of the that it's definitely something that Tara and I talked a lot about as well, like this concept and I think part of our burnout issue is that everyone has this idea of this really linear fast track sort of thing that we're that we've got to go to this high end and and we sort of get part of the way there we go maybe that's not really what I actually wanted maybe I wanted something else and I think there's a little bit of I always think of it as now what because there's these students who have wanted to be a vet or whatever what other degree they choose since they could, you know, 
begin thinking about these things. And it's all about getting good marks in high school so you can get into the course and then getting in and then getting through, you know, first semester, then getting through the next one. And then they suddenly have graduated and well, gosh, now what? Now do I have to go on and do an internship just because that's sort of what I, you know, can sometimes feel as though you've become a little bit institutionalized and have to keep climbing that ladder. And yeah, in order to just to get a, a sense of completion on your self worth, I'm not sure what it is. That's mm. mm. and, and I'm not saying that I was immune to it either. Like I was probably on that pathway until I sort of decided to blow that up completely. Let's we'll jump topic a little bit here, if that's okay, everyone. And you're not just a veterinary nurse, Andrew, but sort of this is a diversity podcast, the Veterinary Kaleidoscope. So would you like to tell us a little bit about maybe just about your diversity journey, even generally, and then perhaps how that may have reflected or has impacted your veterinary nursing career? Yeah, sure. Okay. So I identify as a, a, a gay male. I don't feel like it's impacted my veterinary nursing career, but it has made me look at, you know, the world differently and the type of people that I encounter day in, day out differently because, you know, the LGBTIQA plus community is so very diverse and we're everywhere. And I really love seeing that in practice that, you know, there's people like me in practice. Um, They may or may not know that I know, they may not disclose that I know, um, and I may not know because they, they don't tell me. So it's really nice to see diverse humans in the veterinary profession because I think everybody's welcome here. Um, everybody has a place. They all have something different to bring. And as we touched on earlier, people are free to express themselves, you know, in the way they appear. So why not feel free to express themselves in in their you know, sexuality or gender identity or, you know, whatever it is that they, you know, that makes them diverse people. So it's, I'd like, I'd like seeing, you know, people like me out there doing things that I do, doing things better than what I do. And, you know, being up and coming in the veterinary industry, it's just good because there's there's a place for you. There's a place for everybody. Yeah, that's awesome. And I agree completely. I think that there's, uh, there is so much diversity and I do, uh, we've t- touched on this a little bit before, um, uh, I think, Cam, that I just kind of assume everyone's queer now until they actually explicitly tell I thought I was the only one that felt like that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's me as well. It's just like, I'm just going to assume you're queer until you tell me otherwise. Like sort of whatever flavour, I don't, you know, I don't mind. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I've certainly spoken to a number of uh, gay male veterinarians who have felt not super, uh, they, they felt, I guess, that microaggression concept of, of like uh, feeling perhaps a little bit left out or you know, they're invited to the Christmas party and it's like sort of, for, you know, um, uh, Mr. Thompson or Mr. and Mrs. Thompson or whatever, sort of, uh, you know, and I'm not sort of saying that that's ever happened to you, but have you have you encountered that? Like do you, do you feel like the, where do you feel we can sort of do a little better at actually including LGBTIQA because that, that's the perspective that that we're sort of uh, coming from. We'll, we'll just throw to you in a second, Cam, on this as well. Uh, how do you think that practices um, can do better at actually making that inclusion sort of happen? I think the best place to start is never assume anything. So never assume people's gender identity, never assume people's sexual identity, um, never assume people's relationship status because 
you know, it's going to bite you in the ass, essentially. I don't know if I can say ass here. Um, but I am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely <laughs> can. Oh, you can say worse than that. But I think it's it's just, I think it's really important to just not assume that, you know, people are who, you know, you might think they are, they're having a relationship with the person that you might think they are. How about you just ask um, and say, you know, you know, even using gender neutral pronouns, like, you know, what does your partner do? Not your girlfriend or your wife, because I don't have a girlfriend or a wife. But yeah, I think just breaking down those assumptions and getting people on the same page to just be curious, ask questions politely and respectfully, and just don't assume that people are, you know, like you, I guess is probably one way to look at it. But you know, let them tell you how they identify and who their partner is or partners is another one that um, I hear often as well. Like not everybody has just one partner. Let's take that out of our vocab as well because that's okay for them too. So I think, yeah, just asking questions. And um, fortunately, I've not had too much of those microaggressions because people knew I was gay before I did in this industry, which was really, it's really nice to reflect back upon. Um, I had this one particular client who for years assumed I was I was gay and I I was not ready to be gay at that time, but um, she would talk about me like that. And at first I got upset and I was like, actually, maybe she's seeing something in me that I'm not quite ready to see yet. And then the more I saw her, she was a regular client for years and years and years in a practice that I worked at for years and years and years. And then one day I said, yep, I am. I've, I've got a boyfriend. Thanks for, you know, accepting me for the way I am for the years leading to now. And she made me comfortable in, in disclosing that to her and then more people from there. So yeah, I think that was a real turning point for me is having that one client who, you know, could see me before I could see myself. And how did you con- how did you control that sort of story of your coming out? Because by the sounds of things, uh, that happened in when you were mature in a professional sort of context. And uh, one of the big things that uh, I heavily focused on, Tara and I heavily focused on, was we really very heavily controlled our story when uh, when we came out. And there's is that sort of something that you did as well? Uh, was it something that was, like you say, there was just a point where you felt, okay, this is the sort of the, did you have a plan for t- telling people? Oh, I did. And my coming out did not go according to plan. I can tell you that for sure. So <laughs> I had it all all mapped out and ready to go. And then something changed that for me. And it it it, it just happened before I was ready. And, and that wasn't the incident, but that was just part of it around, around that particular time. And I was in my late 20s at that point. I was you know, more mature. I, I would have liked to have known or come out sooner, but that's when my time was. But yeah, my my coming out wasn't wasn't as planned. And I do I do tell people about that because it's there's, there's no point stressing and planning and, you know, really getting all worked up about it because it may not be a big deal. Yes, it is for some. I will preface that and it is a big deal for some. But for me, I made it out to be a bigger deal than it needed to be because I had some really good people around me. My family was amazing and supportive and, and they too knew before I did as well. So it was just a, a non-event when it happened. But I think, I think you know, being in this industry kind of helped with that upon reflection as we talk about this now is that I was surrounded by these people who were accepting of, you know, all diversities and they were just nurturing me until I was ready to say, yeah, I am. What next? 
that's actually really lovely to hear because I, I think that it's not we do sometimes have this perception that our industry is not quite ready uh and some of the some of the stuff that we get like fed at us and and i've been guilty of this of sort of you know of quoting studies that talk about the fact that we're not a very diverse profession and we still have a lot of work to do don't get me wrong um uh, but I think what we are is a very supportive profession. Uh, I think we're incredibly supportive of each other, and I, I think that it's uh, there is that um, element of we're quite once sort of someone does disclose, like I think we are sort of quite supportive there. Do you think that the fact that it's it's quite a small and very interconnected profession? Do you think do you think it helps, or does it does it hinder things from your both of your experiences? <laughs> I think that's a double-edged sword, Cam. What, what do you think, Case? Yeah, it probably is, isn't it? I I, I think it's uh, – there was certainly like I've got no doubt that my coming out was probably like we had control to a point and then it just got – so far ahead that it was it was an element of uh, I didn't have control over that that was okay because at that point there was enough stability that it didn't really make a a particular difference uh when it comes down to it but and although I'd have to say I never got any nasty sort of rumors back come back at me uh I probably had more annoying rumors coming back at me from local community than I did from the profession the profession made some faux pas but sort of um but I think there was the rumored mill sort of was more in a local sort of context uh as far as that goes how, how do you feel Cam with well, let's go back to that question of how can the profession become more inclusive and, uh, and allow more people to disclose their Aboriginality um, uh, on their Indigenous or, or First Nations uh, origins because, as we've touched on before, not every Aboriginal person has coloured skin or whatever sort of characteristic you might like to pick as a stereotypical characteristic. So how do we make it? What can we do to actually to help people to be able to go, actually, you know, I can sort of discuss that. I think the main points there are not all that much to do with the profession itself. I think a lot of it is quite quite distant from the profession. It's it's in early schooling. It's about truth telling at that level. It's not just early schooling for non-indigenous kids, but for indigenous kids too, who can who can see science as a a career option because currently it's just not not something that's followed anywhere near enough um, in Indigenous populations. Um, I think as we've discussed before, Indigenous people are commonly seen for their bodies, whether it be modelling or on the sports field. Um, that tends to be the the what kids see themselves as um, in a, a lot of school situations. If you ask them what they want to be, there are far too few saying that they want to work in science or or many other fields as well and there's a lot to that too you know it's it's seeing seeing people in the in those professions to begin with so they feel like they can follow in their footsteps it's providing opportunities whether that being in remote communities or anywhere all around australia yeah there's a lot to it and a lot of lot of work to be done but there's a lot of good programs in the works as well so I'm hopeful that we'll see a few more changes. And I'd 
I suppose for me, ultimately, I would love to see many more Indigenous vets, but I would be extremely happy if kids just chose to follow any kind of science field, really. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, and my apologies, actually, Ken, because to be honest, that was the way I asked that was kind of, it was a little bit white. It was sort of, I didn't ask it well. Um, uh, I didn't ask that question well. And absolutely, like there is so much more. Like it's not just we can't, there's no sinecure sort of simple action and response that's going to happen in a veterinary, in the veterinary profession that's going to magically make us inclusive of Aboriginal peoples. Like it has to be a, a whole of society thing when it comes down to it, uh, I think. Uh, so... Yes, definitely more more uh, more Aboriginal people in all sorts of uh, sciences and and everything. I think and yeah. more education generally. Yeah, and there are definitely growing opportunities. So I'm fortunate to work with Indigenous animal management workers in Arnhem Land, as well as environmental health workers in the Torres Strait Islands, who are extraordinarily talented people who work across a really broad range of fields from food safety, pest control. They work with vets who come out to communities. So there is quite a lot of opportunities in the sort of animal health sphere. So yeah, it's it's exciting to see how Indigenous people can involved and it's definitely growing which is yeah which is really good awesome well let's circle back a bit to uh our mental health discussion there earlier andrew because it is a it is a particular area of interest of yours definitely and we've talked about this and we'll give a little hopefully give a little sneak peek but not too much we don't want to give away too much for uh, the veterinary kaleidoscope summit uh so listeners the, if you haven't got your tickets to the veterinary kaleidoscope summit on february the 27th and 28th in 2023 in sydney uh andrew will be giving one of the talks and his talk is on mental health in the veterinary profession and we're coming around to the idea we haven't fully sort of finalized it yet but i think we're coming around to the concept of like maintaining Maintaining positivity, isn't it really? Sort of, it's probably, it's orbiting that area there. But where did your interest in, in mental health in the veterinary industry start? And where sort of what fed, what fed that so that it's now a, a particular interest of yours? I guess it started with my own lived experience of mental ill health earlier on in my career. So I'm not going to dwell on it. We all we all face some, some adversities and challenges in the roles that we do. And we need some help. So I fortunately got the help I needed, but I've seen others that that don't. So the good old stigma comes down to it. Some people aren't, aren't prepared to talk about their mental health concerns. So that was one of the things that pushed me towards this area is I'm willing to have these conversations with people about mental health. And I want more people like me to do that and have these conversations and normalize them and know that there's help available because we know the stats. I'm not going to go through the stats. They're they're poor. We have poor mental health. We're overrepresented in suicide statistics and all of those things. So let's do something about it. This is the point that I got to. I'm like, what can I do about it? And the little thing that I can do about it is have conversation, talk about things that can improve our mental health. Focusing on what we can control is a big thing that I like to talk about and think about is, you know, what can I control? Because there's so much in this world that I can't control. So let's maybe not dwell on those things and step back a bit and think about what we can control and being positive and having a positive attitude and doing things positively is, is something that we can do within our scope. So that's what brought up about our presentation that we're going to do at the Veterinary Clydescape Summit was, you know, what positive changes can I make in my practice 
what positive changes can I make to my attitude when I do go into my practice in order to, you know, make diversity more acceptable is is one of the focus points here in this particular conversation. And coming back to, you know, I can control the conversations that I have and the thoughts that I have and feelings that I have and how I express myself as well, which we've touched on before. But yeah, I think let's not focus on the negatives. There are so many. Let's focus on on what we can, you know, make changes to and being positive is is just one of those things that we can do i feel in my opinion yeah yeah look totally uh, i think you can sort of get buried in a quagmire of negativity if you if you let yourself go there and it's not that you can't i think there's plenty of things to be upset about and plenty of things to be uh angry about uh and particularly cam from the point of view of indigenous people so much to be angry about like so much and that would be, that's a challenge to sort of to maintain that positivity. I mean, you're a fairly positive. I, I see you as a fairly positive person, Cam. Certainly every time I talk to you, you're very positive. Now, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I it's just, just switched me. it on for you, Kate. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I'm a about, miserable bugger the rest of the time. Miserable bugger the rest of the time. Um, but do you have to actively think about that positivity, Cam? Is it something that you actively think to try and do or is it just, uh, is it a, do you avoid negativity? Is it something or? No, yeah. I certainly don't, don't avoid it. I, I, mm. <laughs> I, you know, sometimes wish I could. No, that's a very good question. I'm very conscious of the fact that there's really toxic aspects of, of negativity, but that the same can sometimes be said by overemphasizing positivity too. And there's people who will really, really push the positivity to the point that it in itself becomes a bit destructive and, and distracting from things that we can change, that we can address by almost wanting to sort of just push this positivity to the degree where we're just ignoring all the things that we can change. So yeah, finding that balance can be can be tricky sometimes, but I guess that's part of the positivity, isn't it? That that you can find that balance and you can, yeah, you know, work to make things better. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think sort of, I would agree with you. I think you can't just avoid the negativity all the time right? because you, you would, in some ways, it's almost, to me, that's almost running away from it. And I think mm. sometimes you have to face it. Sometimes you do have to face the negativity and sometimes you have to fight it both internally and also externally and just go, no, that's not on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a big part of actions that have, have made changes in all of our lives. It's it's the basis of a lot of activism. People see activists and think that they're these negative people who just want to tear things down. But it's about saying there are, you know, there's a positive change that we can make here, but sometimes you just got to fight a little bit to get there. Yeah. Really nice way of putting it. I love it. So we might move on to, we're getting close to time. So we might move on to the last question. And uh, this one's a question without notice. Uh, so be ready. It is a variation on our magic pill question, which we usually finish off with. So, and I came up with this one from something that you mentioned earlier, Andrew, that you didn't want to be a vet. You wanted to be a veterinary nurse. But I want to ask you this. So first part of the question is pick a job career life or whatever that is that you actually kind of 
might have been a childhood dream. It might have been sort of like, oh, that would have been cool. Like mine is marine biologist. Uh, okay, to give you an idea. And the magic pill question is, if you could take the magic pill and you could have that dream life of whatever it is versus, but obviously all of your experiences, all of your, everything to do with your veterinary nursing career uh, or for you and I, Cam, our veterinary careers would disappear. Would you take the magic pill? Um, and it's kind of a loaded question, but I think it's the idea is to get a reflection on where this this positivity and negativity thing. But what was your, what would have been your dream life? What a tricky question, Kate. Thank you. <laughs> a little bit of sarcasm. Thank you. Um, I. In, in all honesty, my goal as a 13-year-old person was to be a veterinary nurse. So before that, it was to be a hairdresser. I'm so glad I didn't go down that track just quietly. <laughs> but I, I wanted to be a vet nurse from about the age of 14. And I was, I'm so thankful that I got to do that. And I, I don't think I would take it back for anything because now as I'm evolving, I'm going in a slightly different direction. So yes, I'm a veterinary nurse. I identify as a veterinary nurse, but I'm starting to identify as a counsellor as well because that's my next career progression goal. And ideally, if I can amalgamate the two, then I'll be one very, very happy person. So I'm doing my best to merge my two career goals together and you know, give that a whirl. Basically, I want to give it a go because I've thought long and hard about being a veterinary nurse and being a counsellor and why should I have to choose one or the other? So I don't, I don't know if that's where you wanted me to go, but that's, nice. that's all honesty where I'm headed um, and I, I don't think I would change since, yes, I've had some terrible times as a veterinary nurse and as a human because, you know, I am. But taking them back would probably change the point that I'm at in my life now. So, and I don't want to do that because I'm quite happy here and now. That makes me sound like a real sap, but it's true. I'm not, I'm not lying. No, I, I, I love it. It's a, it's a great answer. And I love the fact that you sort of like, I refuse. It's very Captain Kirk of you. I'm like sort of, I refuse to choose. I'm going to sort of, I'm going to take both. Um, <laughs> sort of, uh, so I'm going to answer this one before you do, Cam, so our listeners get to hear your mm -hmm. voice last because I think sort of uh, my dream life would probably actually just be listening to Cam's voice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I think my dream life sort of uh, job, and I was very similar to you, Andrew, I, from very young age like there's actually a I did a year six project wanted to be a veterinarian was actually there also kind of wanted to be like a dancer or actor but a little bit like the hairdressing for you Andrew yeah probably not a good choice but my dream one would have been as I mentioned before marine biologist and I actually did do I did two years of a um, environmental science degree and dropped out because I was life got in the way and I think that I think that you sort of do and I probably had a little bit of a romanticized view of sort of uh, of what that might have been like, like, you know, knowing, actually having met some marine biologists and, and whatnot, knowing that realistically a lot of research work is, uh, as Cam will probably sort of, uh, will certainly sort of reinforce is sitting behind a computer and writing a lot of papers yep. <laughs> and, and words and I think sometimes we do kind of romanticize things in our head a little bit. And I think sometimes that because we come up against challenges within our careers and within the context of sort of where we are in our life, we think, oh, if only I'd done this or if only I'd done that. But I think every life has its challenges. 
you only get one go, do the best you can at it. I think was just my motto, but I don't, I certainly don't regret in any sense being a veterinarian and, and taking that pathway. And I don't regret doing veterinary clinical work or owning a veterinary practice or, or anything like that either. They've been fascinating journeys. Uh, but I think another thing you did mention there, Andrew, was we don't, just because we're on a journey and this goes back to our sort of linear pathway thing, it doesn't mean we can't do side quests and go off and do something else for a bit. And in that respect, I think the veterinary industry generally is actually quite a good industry for that because we can jump a little bit in and out and sort of do that sort of thing. So that's my answer. Cam, you're you're last up this time. So right. well, I think as a child who was obsessed with Thomas the Tank Engine when I was a little tacker, first thing I remember wanting to be was a train, not not a train driver. I wanted to be one of the trains, but Unfortunately, that didn't work out. But then train driver was the next logical choice. I think I grew out of that pretty quickly. But then something that I was always really into all throughout school was art. And so to be an artist was something that I really seriously toyed with pursuing. I guess I was influenced by lots of advice I was getting that it was a very difficult career to to survive in and that there was always going to have to be something else that I would probably have to do unless I got extremely lucky. And so it's something that I've always continued to to dabble in. And I think that's actually been part of the joy of it because I think if it had to be a job, if it had to be a profession full time, it would really start to feel like that. And instead, when I get to be involved in art, it's for the joy of it. It's for the creative expression. And that's really fun. And sometimes that'll be at, you know, 1130 at night and I'll just be struck by something and work on it until three o'clock in the morning. And that's that's really fun. And it's and it has been something that I've been able to indulge and even make a little bit of money out of over time, which has been fun. I've done a couple of commissions. I do a little bit of graphic design as well. So designed a few logos for a couple of vet businesses. And there are some really interesting communities out there too. There's a group called Vetsy, like Etsy on Facebook with a bunch of vets who vets and vet professionals who are, are creatives and they put all kinds of amazing works up on there to share their various pursuits. So it's cool to see how people express their creative sides as well. I love that. I so love the, and I can very much, I've only seen one of your paintings, the one that you sort of shared for the, for the podcast from a while back and loved it. And I, I love the creative, that expression. There's something quite raw and, and I, would agree with you, Mike. I still quite like, I like doing photo shoots for like when I do photo shoots for like various organizations and I kind of like modeling. God, it sounds vain. (laughs) But but I kind of like it. And I think a part of it is that, you know, like you say, Cam, it's because it's just a hobby. You can sort of kind of do it and it's not Mm. like a a big Doesn't become work. Doesn't become work. Yeah. I think if modeling as work would be a nightmare. Um, speaking yeah, I'm glad of- you like it because I do not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I sort of, uh, I think. I cannot hold a smile for longer than a second, I think. It's yeah. torture for me. <laughs> the camera eats my soul. You should see the photos that come with. They're like, pose, Andrew, smile. <laughs> yes, sure. I feel like I've forgotten how to smile when that happens. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, look, I, I think that, and then the worst thing is you get the photos back and you sort of like, you go, because you think, oh, that was a really good shoot. And you get the photos back and go, oh, but this is out of place and that's sort of not quite right. And oh my God, you can see such and such. Uh, yeah, no, it's probably not a great space for me at times, <laughs> to be honest. If I'm going to sort of talk about body positivity, modeling probably isn't the best area. Probably why it's like that dichotomy, isn't it? That's sort of why I'm drawn to it because I kind of want to see that. I want to feel that body positivity towards my body. And then I just get super self-critical, which veterinarians do, surprisingly. Mm. Um, uh, we do that a lot. So if uh, any listeners would like to see some of Cam's design, uh, the Veterinary Kaleidoscope logo is actually is Cam's design. So, and I actually have here, check these out, Cam. Mm, very nice. On a tee, it looks amazing. So we might need to sort of talk about whether or not we actually, we might commercialise those and sort of start flinging them off and on the Veterinary Kaleidoscope website. So keep your eyes out, listeners, to um, to get one of these amazing T-shirts, which I'm holding up to the camera right now so you can all can see it, can't you? Trust us, they look great. Sign me up for The audio description, you yeah, know, it take too long. Like it's, it, they do look amazing. Absolutely awesome. So I think that we should finish it up there. So thank you very much for coming on, Andrew. It has been lovely to chat. And thank you so much again, Cam, my lovely co-host. It has been too long. We've been busy people, I think, sort of in and out, sort of left, right, centre. Yeah. Crossing over, but uh, but for now, it's going to be. Thank you for listening, and we will uh, talk to you again very soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me. 